Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Simply Rich. In this series, we are exploring a biblical view on money and wealth and what that looks like for us today. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I just want to share with you something pretty cool that happened yesterday. We went and participated in the Revitalize program, which was a collection of churches from all over the greater Hartford area, city churches, suburban churches, and it was just a cool time for us to mix and and serve alongside, shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters in Christ from different parts of the city. And I see some of the families out there, you know, we had 33 people from Valley Brook who went and served and hand out information about uh, health and wellness and um, about foods or resources in the city of Hartford. And we got to pray with people. We got to connect with people. It was just a cool day. So, uh, you know, I'm excited that we had over 33 people yesterday. And by the way, from the ages of four months all the way up to at least 55, uh, participated from Valley Brook. And so if you take that in the party where we got together and packed all those things, and yesterday we've had over 60 people from Valley Brook participate in that. So I just think that's just something to, to praise God about. Now, we're in the second series of this uh, sermon series called uh, Live uh, Richly, Simply Rich. I can't remember the name of it. Um, And yes, it is a series about what the Bible says about money. And last week uh, I said this, God wants to speak into our lives in every area of our lives. We try to compartmentalize life. You know, we try to say, you know, I've got my work life, I've got my play life, I've got my church life, uh, and on and on and on. But the reality is, is God wants to speak into every area of our lives, and he's given us his word, which does speak into every area of our lives. And so it's important that we understand this. And I said this, you know, the normal reaction oftentimes for when you hear a sermon, a message about money is you want to pull back. But what I said last week is I want you to lean in. Lean into God's word. And, and look at what God says. Jesus understood this was a sensitive area for his followers then and today. Because about a third of what Jesus taught had to deal with material stuff or with money. And so he was very aware, as we would expect him to be, about how this vies for our hearts. So here's a truth about God. We have a good God who loves us and is trustworthy. And if we decide if we will, and we have to decide if we will trust him in every area of our lives, even in the financial part of our lives. So uh, last week, I challenged you to remember the saying. We're going to put it on the screen, and, and here it goes. I will put my hope in riches. I will not put my hope in riches, but in the one who loves me richly. Let's say it together. I will not put my hope in riches, but in the one who loves me richly. All right, so we have a good God who loves us no matter what. And what we're supposed to do is love him in response. So 
this morning we're going to look at this. If you've got a Bible or if you've got the Bible app, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. Now, verse 10 is um, a very somewhat familiar verse because people try to remember it and they misquote it. So um, I'm going to give away what it really means. And that's my first point. The love of money is evil. Now, people misquote this by saying, for money is the root of all evil. But that's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of evil. Think that one through. I mean, money's, money's just a tool. Uh, money has no good or bad quality to it. How people use it, what they do with it, how they uh, attach themselves to it can be good or bad, but money in itself doesn't have that quality. So, you know, Timothy's writing here is God. I mean, Paul is writing here to Timothy as he's been inspired. And he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then he goes on and he says this. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. With many griefs. When we love money and not God, we have it backwards. When you love money and not God, you're going to have problems. When you love money, you'll begin to use people because you love money more than people. And that's when things get upside down. And that's when we begin to have problems. You know, statistically speaking, the number one issue in marriages comes around finances. You know, there's this weirdness that happens with money uh, because we have strong emotional ties to it. And so we have to recognize that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So we're not supposed to love money. We're supposed to love God. But remember, if we love money, then we use people. We're supposed to love people and use money. Now, I want to talk about three different uh, theological views of money. The first uh, theological view is this. It's poverty theology. Poverty theology is the theology that wealth is wrong and poverty is right. And in many cases, it includes an idea that voluntary poverty is a special class of moral excellence. So uh, poverty theology comes with it sort of a lifestyle based on a characterization of the denial of our fleshly desires, the things that we want, you know, uh, things uh, like um, food, shelter, possessions, and all the stuff that we can bring into our lives. Now, there have been seasons in the church where uh, this has been popular, de definitely with the uh, ascetic movement that was hundreds of years ago. And then we see it a little bit in the last couple of years in some areas. But, you know, here's the idea behind uh, poverty theology. The, it sort of works its way into a kind of uh, works righteousness idea that if we deny ourselves more, we'll have... We'll make God happier. Uh, we'll, we'll be more blessed for, with God because of our voluntary poverty. But here's the deal. Look through Scripture. Look through Scripture. Scripture doesn't tell us that uh, wealth is evil and poverty is righteous. 
Scripture shows us that there were very wealthy people who were very righteous. Think of Abraham and Sarah. Think of of King Solomon. Uh, Think of Lydia in the New Testament or or Joseph of Arimathea who provided a tomb for Jesus' burial. And, And the list goes on. Very wealthy and righteous people. So that's poverty theology. The next theology is prosperity theology. Uh, Prosperity theology uh, says that riches are righteous and poverty is evil. Now, this doctrine uh, which claims that the Bible teaches that financial blessings are attached to what Christians do. In other words, they teach that if we have enough faith, if we have enough positive speech, and if we donate enough to Christian ministries, God is going to increase our material wealth. So this creates this idea that poor people are bad and rich people are good. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Uh, The Bible doesn't support this twisting of Scripture any uh, more than it did poverty theology. Think about this. Who were poor people in Scripture who were righteous? Well, think of Jesus first and foremost. And and then think of the disciples, the men and women who followed Jesus. And think of the woman who was declared as righteous, who gave all she could, her last two pennies at the offering. So the Bible doesn't support poverty theology or or prosperity theology. What the Bible does support is generosity theology. Generosity theology. That's based on the idea that God owns everything and that he gives us things in our life to take care of, to manage. Uh, I'm talking about not just your bodies. I'm talking about your skills. I'm not just talking about your skills. I'm also talking about the material possessions that you are able to have in life. God gives us those things to manage and to take care of. And he does say in Scripture uh, that when we prove faithful with a little, he'll give us more to take care of. It's no different than at work, right? If you prove to your boss, your manager, that you're faithful in what you're doing, you may get a promotion. It's that idea that, that uh, you know, God has an agenda. He wants his kingdom to come on earth, and he wants us to be part of his team. And so the more faithful we prove in doing what he's called us to do, managing what we've been given, our talents, our treasures, everything, He's going to give us more to be responsible for. Not to make us rich, but to take care of and manage for his kingdom purposes. So here's the idea. Uh, you know, you know a, purchase, a person isn't uh, righteous or wicked because they have money or they don't have money. Remember, money is neutral. It's not good or bad. How we use it can be good or bad. If it's attached to our hearts more than God, then that's bad. And so there's this idea that that we have to love God more than money. Remember what it says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Here's the next thing that I want you to understand with this scripture, because it's important for us to, to get this. You know, he goes on and writes in the next verse, he says, flee evil. So let's look at that verse. But you, man of God or woman of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. What are we supposed to flee from? The love of money. We're supposed to to flee from 
something that is opposed to God, and we're supposed to pursue the things that are of God. We're supposed to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You, you know, remember, he said, people have wandered away. They pierced themselves with many griefs because they haven't gotten this order right. They didn't love God first. They loved God. They loved money first. They loved money and used people. And God says, love me and then love people and use money. So he says, flee from evil. And that, that's the love of money. So we, we have to ask ourselves, you know, uh, how do we do that? How do we love God more than money? And so we have to ask ourselves, is there anything in our lives that comes before God? Anything. And if it is, we need to reverse that. Let's go on to the next verse, verse 12. Uh, Paul writes, fight the good fight. So he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Remember the context. He's saying, fight the good fight, which is to fight against the love of money and materialism. And, and then he says, remember this. Basically, he's saying, remember your first love, which is God. So he says, he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul is telling Timothy, look, take hold of the faith that you had when you first believed in Jesus, when you first decided to follow him, a, a, a faith that you confessed in front of many people. Always make sure that God, your faith in God, your faith in the Son of God is first and foremost and, and fight the good fight against the love of money, against materialism. Now, look, I recognize in this culture that we live in, this is challenging. I spoke about this last week. You know, m the idea behind marketing is that you'll be dissatisfied with what you have and you'll want more. Now, my apologies to anybody who's in the marketing profession, but, but really that's the goal. You, you know, you, know, you want to buy this because your life will be better if you buy that. Or you don't have enough of this, so you, you need to have more. And, and so we have to recognize that, that there is a problem, that we're dissatisfied, and we need to guard our hearts and our minds against the message of our culture. There's another part of our culture that's, that's maybe even more subtle, although I'm talking to more and more people that they don't like it because they fall into what I call the comparison trap. And it happens on social media. You know, when you go on social media and you, you see somebody's doing something fun and exciting, what do you think? I wish I could do that. Or when they show you their new car or whatever it is, it's like, why can't I have that? And we get into this comparison mindset. And it really, all it does is sends us back toward wanting more stuff to make us happy, being unhappy with what we have, and wanting something that's greater than we currently have. And, and remember, remember what Scripture says that we're supposed to take hold of the eternal life to which you have called. That means put God first and then realize that this other stuff 
will fall into place. But we have to fight the good fight against materialism, against the love of money, uh, against the comparison trap that's out there. Now, if you're asking, well, so how do I do that? Uh, Here's how you do that. It's going to sound very simplistic, even simple, but you understand that it's not. You do this by loving God and others more than you love money. Sounds simple. Easy to say, harder to do. Uh, So how do you know when you're doing this? You know you're doing this when you're trusting God and when you're following God's word and what what he has told us in God's word in every area of our lives, even in this sensitive area of finances. So let me return to a a familiar teaching of Jesus. It's from Matthew chapter 6. It's verse 24. If you were here last week, I read it last week. Uh, And this is what it says. Jesus is speaking. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you go back to the original language, Money is not the most accurate translation of the word that's used there. Um, And I'm going to go back to the New King James Version, and and we're going to put it on the screen. Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. Uh, Now, mammon can be loosely translated as money, but it's not synonymous of money with money. Uh, You know, mammon's an Aramaic word. And it comes out of a culture where this concept, uh, where there was a concept of there being a god of wealth. Uh, this was, uh, you know, one of the cultures that would come against Israel. And Jesus was very aware of this concept uh, of mammon, this, this god of wealth. And at the heart of, of the concept of mammon was this. Humans don't need God. They need to rely on riches. They can be self-sufficient. So this was sort of like a spirit of mammon or a false god that says you don't need God, trust in riches. In fact, if you go back to a Bible dictionary and you look at the origin of this word, this is what it means. It's riches personified and in opposition to God. So it gives the whole idea of the concept of riches, you know, being personal and having a sort of a concept of being a person. And so when Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon, he's basically saying you can't serve God or the false God of mammon, which is riches and materialism and wealth. And he's saying that and it's, it's, it's powerful. Um, Some of you may have read John Milton's famous poem, Paradise Lost. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, a couple. Wow, all right. You guys are hardcore. Um, uh, uh, Paradise Lost creates a picture of what hell is like. And, And in Paradise Lost, Satan is there as the fallen commander in chief of the angel armies. All right. He was the, the head of the angel armies in heaven. And he, uh, obviously, 
He fell uh, from his position because he came against God. He tried to start a rebellion and he fell and he was uh, uh, thrown into hell. And in Milton's Paradise Lost, uh, Satan has some demon generals. And I'm going to tell you the names of them. And all of the names come out of the Bible. The names of those are uh, Molech, Dagon, Astarte, Osiris, Belial, and each one of these, as I said, come out of Scripture. These were the names of the false gods of the other peoples that came against Israel. When you read the Old Testament, you'll hear these names referred to. But there's one more demon general, and its name is Mammon. John Milton wrote that. Because he knew what Jesus wrote. You can't serve God and mammon. He understood that mammon was a false god that humans worship, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. And Jesus had made it crystal clear that you can't worship mammon. Now, let's talk about money and mammon. I, I, I'm probably going to use them a little interchangeably, but uh, you know, when I'm talking about money, I'm talking, uh, not interchangeable, but when I'm talking about money, I'm, I'm talking basically about the stuff in your wallets, you know, the coins, the bills, the tool that allows you to bring food into your house, pay your heating bill, and yes, to do some enjoyable things. But when I talk about mammon, I'm talking about this concept of riches personified, almost a, a, a spirit, a, a, a god, lowercase g, uh, called mammon. And, and so it's important that we understand that. When you think about mammon, think about this. It's really nothing more than the system of this fallen world, which stands in sharp opposition to God and his ways. In th this whole concept of mammon is that, that it wants our undivided loyalty and attention, and it tells us false things, like money will buy you happiness. They're like, if you only had a little bit more money, you could keep up with the neighbors. You could do what they're showing you they're doing on Facebook. If you only had a little more money, you could tithe. You could build the next part of this church if you only had a little more money. So in other words, you take what you have and you keep it, because it's what you think you need to make you happy. That's what the spirit of mammon wants us to understand, that, that um, it will give us what we need, that we don't need God. All we need is money and more of it. Money or mammon can be a stronghold in our lives, a spiritual stronghold that, that the, Satan can use to make us become focused on what we don't have. To make us become focused on, well, if I had just a little bit more, then I, I could do what I really want to do. Or in the midst of a crisis, uh, you, you have thoughts or ideas of saying, oh, God, I wish you'd just dump a, a boatload of money on me. Or I wish you'd give me a, a rich relative that I never had that would help me fix this problem. Instead of saying, God, I know you're sovereign and you're going to help me through this. It's looking to something outside of God. It's putting our allegiance to something outside of God to help us. But money's never the answer to problems. God is. 
we have to recognize that mammon can be a stronghold. That idea that there's something out there, money, riches, wealth, material stuff that we can rely on to be self-sufficient. We need to realize that we need to rely on God. When, when mammon's a stronghold in your life, it becomes a barrier between you and God. Why? Because you're trying to be self-reliant on mammon, on what you can do for yourself, what you think money can do for you, rather than relying on God. It's putting something above God in your life. It's saying, I, my heart is attached to something greater than God. And there's nothing greater than God. Here's what we need to understand. You know, regardless of what our relationship has been with money and material things and mammon in the past, this is what you need to know. God loves you. God will never take his love away from you. There is nothing that you could do. This, in the book of Romans, it tells us this. There's nothing that you could ever do that would take the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ away from you. So regardless of your past and your relationship to this and, and your relationship to money and to mammon and material stuff, God still loves you. And what he desires for you is that you would understand that he wants to bless you even when you've been unfaithful to him in this. He wants to bless you. This is what I want you to remember. When it comes to managing your money, God, God's way is not that God wants something from you. God wants something for you. When we read in Scripture what he says about how we deal with uh, worldly wealth, with material stuff, with riches, with money, it's not about what he wants from you. It's what he wants for you. And so all that we read in Scripture about this and everything that Jesus said, a third of what he spoke on, it's about what God wants for you. And to have that, God has to be in the primary place. So I want to challenge you this morning to take a step of faith. And that step of faith would be to move further away from making money or mammon something that vies for God's attention in your life. It will be taking a step of faith to say, I trust God more than I trust riches or mammon or money or even myself. I trust what God has revealed in his word, and, and I'm going to begin to live it. So here's the, the first thing that I want to challenge you to do. Make God a priority. Make God a priority. What I mean by that is put him as number one in your life. The, the, the most important thing, person in your life is God. And then let everything else fall into place. And by the way, money or mammon should, well, mammon should never be there, and money should be way down at the bottom because it's just a tool. All right. Thank God a pride. So what does that mean practically? Well, in the Old Testament, and which was eventually brought into, this was actually before the law, uh, the Jewish law was put in place. Uh, there was this concept of giving God our best, our first fruits. And so uh, when we read in the, uh, in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, excuse me, in the book of Genesis, we, we see uh, how God commanded the people to, to give God the first fruits of their harvest if they were farmers, because most wealth was either uh, bound up in farming or in herding animals. So if you were a farmer, you gave them the, the first of your crops. If you were a herdsman or a herdswoman, you gave them the, the firstborn of your herd. 
Um, it was about giving God your best. So how does that relate to us practically? Because, you know, I don't think, you know, many people in here are making their life, uh, their livelihood by raising animals or by farming. Um, it means making God a priority when you do get paid. Give to him first before you do anything else. Give to God first. It's, it's a small act, but it creates a culture in your heart. It can create a culture in your family and in your household of giving to God first. I still remember when I was a young man and I was taught this, I said, all right, I'm going to take a step of faith. And so I decided that I would give to God when I first got paid. So the first check that I wrote was my tithe check to God. And I said, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give to you first. And then I'm going to trust that you're going to allow me to pay my bills and, and uh, buy my food and, and maybe have a little extra to enjoy. So some 33 years later, I stand before you and saying, I haven't missed a bill. I've been able to pay it. I put God first. I made him a priority. And my challenge to you is if you're not doing that, start this week. Say, God, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give to you first and I'm going to trust you to take care of everything else. Here's the second step of faith that I want to challenge you with today. It's to practice percentage giving to God. Practice percentage giving. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this idea of, of giving the tithe. The tithe equal, literally means a tenth. Giving a tenth of what you've given to God. So, you know, back in the Old Testament, it would be the first tenth of your crops or of your herds. Uh, give the tenth. So think in percentages. You know, if you already know you're giving uh, 10%, that's awesome. And praise God that you've taken that step of faith. If you, if you know you're not there, then figure out what percentage you are. And say, in faith, God, and tell him this, you know, God, I'm going to step up a percent every six months out of faithfulness to you, out of putting you first until you reach 10%. So, so practice percentage giving. If you're not doing it, if you haven't figured it out, do it today. And here's the, the third thing I, I'm going to say. Seek to excel in the grace of giving. Seek to excel in the grace of giving. Now, what's this talking about? Well, God inspired the Apostle Paul basically to say, listen, you know, you need to be generous. You need to excel in the grace of giving. It would be over and above the tithe because we don't think this way in our culture, but when the tithe was created, it actually wasn't the goal. It was step one. So this idea was... You know, yes, give your 10%, but then excel in the grace of giving. When God shows you an opportunity, when, when God nudges you with his spirit to be generous and help somebody, do that. Take that step of faith. Now, look, I, I know I've, I've pushed and, and given you some challenging things today. So what I want to do is invite you to spend some time in prayer with me. So what I'm going to ask you to do is uh, just hold your hands open because that just... 
basically says, you know, God, I'm open to your word and what you want to say. I will receive this. And as I pray, I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes and, and uh, bow your heads. And I'm going to pray over all three of these areas for us that we can trust God and say, we love you more than we love mammon. We love you more than anything in the world. And we're going to trust you and take a step of faith. So here we go. Father, we thank you for your love for us, for your care for us. Lord, we thank you that you desire for us to take steps of faith. And so, Lord, with our, our hands open, we're just saying we're open to your word and your will in our lives. So, Lord, I pray for whoever it is who needs to start practicing putting you as number one in their life, even with their giving, making you the first gift that they give. And I pray that they would take that step of faith. And then, Lord, I pray for the person or the persons who, who hasn't figured out what they're giving percentage-wise and that they would figure that out and begin to practice that, working toward the goal of, of the tithe. And I pray that you would give them faith to trust you in that. And I pray, Lord, that you would provide for all their needs, that you would just prove yourself faithful in this. And then, Lord, uh, in this final area, Lord, for uh, Lord being generous over and above Lord, I pray that you would help each and every single one of us seek to be generous as you lead to live spirit-led lives that when you nudge us, when you show us an opportunity, we wouldn't shrink away from it, but we would trust you and we would give with a generous and open heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.